2: Welcome to Go Green Radio, everyone. As always, I'm thrilled to have you listening in with us. Today, we have an awesome guest. And I know that you would expect nothing less from Go Green Radio because we always give you awesome guests. But today, this is kind of a special show to me because, as many of you know... The mothership of this radio show, Go Green Radio, is my nonprofit organization, the Go Green Initiative, and it was a uh, an educational uh, nonprofit that I started back in 2002. And the goal of that organization was to help school communities all over the world go green. And we have a guest today who's doing that in a very unique way. We are joined by Sarah Elizabeth Ipple. She's the founder and executive director of a school that's pretty new. They've only been around for a couple, three years. It's called the Academy for Global Citizenship, and they are in downtown Chicago. And they are doing some really unique things to integrate environmental education and principles of environmental stewardship into the everyday lives of their students. And I'm thrilled to death to have her with us. If you want to follow along and look at their website while we're talking with Sarah Elizabeth, Don't close this web browser. Keep listening to us at voiceamerica.com, but you can open a new tab in your web browser and go to www.agcchicago.org, and there you can learn more as we talk with Sarah Elizabeth about this amazing new venture that she started. Welcome to Go Green Radio, Sarah. I'm so glad to have you with us.
3: Thank you, Jill. It's an honor to join you.
2: Well, you know, I've only just read your website and Facebook pages, but I'm an instant fan of what you're doing with the Academy for Global Citizenship. I'd love to begin by having you talk to our listeners about why you founded the school. What was the void that you identified in public education that you aimed to fill with the Academy for Global Citizenship?
3: Great. Well, I'd love to tell you just a little bit about myself and and how I ended up here at the Academy for Global Citizenship. I grew up actually in the Midwest in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it wasn't until I went to graduate school in England that I was surrounded by people with different perspectives and languages and histories and cultures and suddenly recognized that the, the world was much larger than I initially understood it to be. So at that point, I began traveling and looking at different educational systems and philosophies in other parts of the world. And it was really throughout that experience and that continued passion that later brought me to about 80 countries that I witnessed a few things that were very instrumental in in the formation and development of AGC. And and first and foremost, uh, I witnessed just the lack of access to quality educational opportunities and such a disparity in all parts of the world. Uh, The second part was being able to recognize the implementation of the International Baccalaureate Program. It's a framework that we now implement here in our school, but to see that happening in so many different cultural contexts was really um, an inspiration to me and, and third and perhaps most significantly or urgently uh, was really Seeing the need uh, for an educational system that supports students learning about their critical connection to the environment. Um, I believe that this current generation is going to be facing some very significant challenges in their lifetime and was, was witnessing firsthand how our decisions every day are impacting people's lives all over the world. So it was really the convergence of those um, components and passions that really led me to, um, at the age of 23, begin the process of, of proposing to our Board of Education here in Chicago to create a new and innovative educational model
2: I love it and I love the fact that you've been successful at such a young age I think your story is an inspiration on so many levels not just the the passion and the philosophy behind what you're doing but that you tackled this successfully at such a young age I just think that you know the, the generation that you're representing has got to find a lot of inspiration in your story. Tell us a little bit more about, you know, how this progressed with the Board of Education. Just give us a little insight into what you went through in order to open the doors
3: at AGC. Sure. Well, in 2004, our mayor here in Chicago, Mayor Daley, actually made an announcement to revitalize our educational system here in Chicago by trying new innovative models um, and opening 100 new schools by 2010. And so at that point, there became a process for individuals and organizations and educational management groups to come to Chicago and submit a proposal for um, essentially opening a Chicago public school. And so... um, I began that process uh, by by founding a nonprofit organization and developing a board of directors and literally talking to anybody I could off the streets, on the train, um, in a cafe, about this vision and about this mission. And soon enough, an amazing group of people Came together to create now what is what is the Academy for Global Citizenship? It took about three years and three proposals to the Board of Education to uh, eventually receive that approval, and then we spent about a year um, preparing and hiring and um, getting our doors ready to open. What do you think
2: that you know? In that you said three proposals, what was it in that final proposal that you think pushed the Board of Education over the hump and said? You know, we've got to give this a thumbs up. What what was different in that third proposal?
3: Well, with all of the innovation um, here at the Academy for Global Citizenship, it was really important for us to look at finding models and examples of of academic data and success and other. Various communities with similar demographics to our projected community. Um, so, you know, with the yoga, with the organic food, with the amount of physical activity, um, with the curricular framework and structures that we were proposing, um, it was really important to the board of ed to see that this was a viable model. And I think learning for us, for us to learn to kind of speak that language and to identify um, those records of success was was absolutely critical.
2: That's great. Now, talk to us about a typical school day at the Academy for Global Citizenship. How is it the same as other public schools, and how is it different?
3: Great question. Well, um you know, certainly some of the similar components are, are that we are a Chicago public school. We're very driven by the state learning standards, and you know, 80% of our students are living below poverty level, and so we we face um, some similar challenges to other urban um, public schools. Um, but what really makes us different is is the culture and the mission and the vision of of the Academy for Global Citizenship, and it really all starts, you know, walking in those school do- doors in the morning and walking past a wind turbine that sits in our organic garden, saying hello to the urban schoolyard chickens that live in our playground, Um, walking past the broccoli and the kohlrabi and everything that's flourishing in our concrete parking lot that we've we've turned into kind of a raised bed haven, and walking into those schoolyards. School doors, and um, the first thing our students do is enter our cafeteria. We serve one hundred percent organic food to our students three times a day, which is a very unique aspect of our of our program and um, All students begin with breakfast and so we start the day in community and the day continues. Um, and a wonderful exploration of nutrition education and environmental sustainability education, the students study a second language, um, and and also at the same time are learning all of the, the state learning standards and all of the other traditional components that are incorporated um, into, our, into our philosophy and approach. Uh, we then close our school day with community-wide yoga at the end of the day in a, a, a circle um, where students are also encouraged to share how they will take what they've learned uh, at school and share this with the broader community. That is so cool. I
2: I really am going to have to come and see this in action because actually my in-laws live in Chicago. It's a small world, Sarah Elizabeth. So uh, one of these days, though, when you guys are back in school, I'd love to come and check this out. Um, I think that sounds really, really unique and uh, really fun to. To see. Now, tell us about your teachers. This kind of a really cool academic environment doesn't happen with just any old teachers. So, what? tell us more about uh, who they are, uh, how you hire them, what are the kind of character traits and attributes that they have to have in order to successfully be hired on at AGC?
3: Absolutely. Well, our teachers are extraordinary. It really... Uh, it really is the teachers who make this a reality. It's one of the most important decisions that we make as an administrative team in terms of who becomes a part of this community because it really is their energy, their boundless energy, their relentless dedication that that really exudes the essence of AGC every moment of our eight-and-a-half-hour school day. So all of our teachers are fervently aligned uh, with the mission of the school. Many of them have lived and taught and studied in other parts of the world, um, have, have great um, Educational experience, and are just really, again, you know, excited about the mission of our school. Um, we're currently hiring twelve new members to join our community for the upcoming school year. Uh, with our with our student growth every year, adding a grade level, um, you know, we're also continuously adding uh, new teachers and new positions to the school.
2: That's pretty exciting. Now, what is there a is there a average age, or do they kind of run the the spectrum of like older, tenured, you know, teachers and young teachers, or are they kind of grouped around a certain age group, or how, how does that work?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. Many of our teachers are younger Um we, we tend to have kind of a young, a young group here, but are certainly um, excited about having um, that kind of diversity represented here and are, are looking for any and all people that, that really align themselves with the mission of, of our school and kind of the philosophy of our framework. Well, tell us
2: more about that, the mission of the school and the philosophy. Describe that to us in a little bit more detail.
3: Sure, well, we use um, something here called the International Baccalaureate Program, and that's a, a framework for how we approach education and, and how we teach and how we learn here at the Academy for global citizenship It's a very inquiry based program, so the students actually learn through these through these units of inquiry, um, which is structured a little bit different than a, than a traditional school it's um transdisciplinary in that the students are learning through themes rather than having all of their subjects um, separated from one another. The the subjects are integrated into these um, six-week units that the the students study.
2: Mm, Okay. And so do the teachers that come on board with you already know how to teach this way or do you teach them to teach that way?
3: Oftentimes, teachers have uh, an internal alignment with this type of philosophy. Um, inquiry-based learning is something that, that um, you know, certain teachers are certainly, um, ha- you know, have an experience with, uh, but, but certainly the International Baccalaureate Program is something that we uh, provide a lot of develop- professional development and training.
2: That's pretty exciting. Now, you have a very impressive board of directors as well. Tell us about the function of the board of directors. We have a lot of listeners who are very familiar with public school systems but may not be familiar with the concept of a board of directors for a public school. What do they do for the school?
3: Well, our board uh, has varied and extensive experience. You know, running a school is sort of like running a company. We're, we're going through a startup right now, uh, the startup phase, and so there's all sorts of legalities and finance, contract negotiations and advocacy involved in that process. We're preparing for the launch of a capital campaign, so the integration of, of supporters and strategic planning, developing these corporate and foundation partnerships are, are critical to our success.
2: And you have quite a, quite a group of successful folks that I'm sure will be able to help you. And what about the parent community? How do they interface with the school?
3: It has it really has been phenomenal to witness such an impassioned engagement among our families. We we have a myriad of, of opportunities for involvement among our families and encourage at least twenty volunteer hours a year. Um, so whether that's coming and working in our garden or volunteering at organic breakfast or going on a field trip with our students, we really focus a lot on integrating our, our wonderful families into the experience here with the hope of the extension of what's being learned here um, entering the home. So we've seen so Some pretty exciting things happening, like planting gardens and building compost bins and uh, creating at home recycling systems. And um, so that's kind of the overall goal here is to really see that connection occur.
2: Well, and I'm sure that it is. I want to delve into that a little bit more uh, as we go through. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but I just can't help but mention, Sarah Elizabeth, I know from your website that you have not just a parent group, but a PTA. And it just so happens that Chicago, Illinois, is the national headquarters for the national PTA. So I can't help but think they should uh, come on down and look at your school. I think they would be very proud to know that a PTA was uh, part of this amazing project. Well, folks, we're going to be back with more with Sarah Elizabeth and the Academy for Global Citizenship in just a few moments. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but we'll be right back with more Go Green Radio.
0: Monday at 1 p.m. PST right here on the Voice America channel. Welcome back
2: to Go Green Radio. I want to give a special shout out to my tweets, all my Twitter friends that are listening this morning. We love to have you on. Um, and also a big shout out to our Go Green Face Space members. I know that a lot of you are listening, and I know that you're excited uh, to hear from Sarah Elizabeth Ippel, the founder and executive director of the Academy for Global Citizenship in Chicago. I'm so excited to have her with us today. We're talking about a really cool new template for integrating environmental education into the everyday lives of students, and she's doing that in a really amazing way at the elementary school level. In a public school in Chicago, and not just any area of Chicago, downtown, in an area where students sometimes aren't served as well as others out in the suburban areas in these urban public schools. We've all seen um, these types of situations. I live near Oakland and sometimes there are some real struggles in our urban schools. But Sarah Elizabeth is breaking all of those paradigms down for us and she's actually creating a template that I hope to see replicated across the U.S. and across the world. Sarah Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us on Go Green Radio. Thank you, Jill. Now, I was noticing as I looked at your website, which, by the way, folks, is www.agcchicago.org if you want to follow along, you have on your staff a Director of Sustainability and Operations. And honestly, I don't think that I have ever seen that position on any other school roster. I think that's very cool. Talk about what he does, what his roles and responsibilities are at the campus.
3: Well, Daniel Schnitzer is our Director of Sustainability and Operations, and, and given the small and startup nature and community here at the Academy for Global Citizenship, we all wear many hats. So throughout <laughs> the course of a day, you'll find Dan planting herbs on the green roof chicken coop outside. He could be reviewing five-year financial projections, or he could be teaching a five-year-old about renewable energy. <laughs> His primary focus really is, uh, developing innovative systems to ensure the financial, operational, environmental sustainability of AGC, and with our commitment to extending our sustainability practices systemically, you know the evaluation, documentation, and the communication of, of the results is really critical to affecting uh, greater change.
2: Now you talk about results. what kind of measurable results do you mean? How do you report on the successes of the school?
3: That's a very, very important question for us. As a a Chicago public school with a strong emphasis on creating a national model, data is is very critical to our mission. Um, We've seen some extraordinary academic results. We we actually use an interim literacy assessment tool that was developed by the University of Chicago that highly correlates with a standardized state achievement test here in Illinois um, so that we can really get a pulse on how our students are doing at all moments throughout the year um, until that third grade testing year. Last year, we actually had 1.85 years of progress in 10 months, so nearly twice um, the growth rate as as a traditional uh, school would be experiencing, and uh, a group of our second grade students currently are reading at a fifth grade level, um, and 90% of our kindergarten students are currently exceeding those grade level standards. Wow. How do you
2: account for that? I mean, is it class size? Is it just a combination of curriculum, class size, awesome teachers? I mean, what, how do you, how do you pinpoint the, you know, the reasons for that success?
3: It really is, you know, the unique combination of of a lot of the innovative aspects here of AGC, ranging from the absolutely amazing teachers that we have, who spend eight and a half hours with those students. We have thirty six percent more instructional time on an annual basis, um, and that accounts for our extended school day and extended school year. And, you know, other components like the the five hours of gross motor and physical activity every week and the food that we're nourishing our students' bodies with that allows their minds to be active and ready to learn. Um, It's really a comprehensive approach that I think is contributing to that success.
2: Well, and that is part of your mission you 're dealing with the whole child. Um, I love the fact that you 're feeding not just their minds but their bodies and their spirits and their and their you know their physical beings through the yoga and and other activities. I just think this is a phenomenal template and, and I really do hope that uh, others are listening and looking for ways to replicate this now. Your school is named the Academy for Global Citizenship. And this may seem like a softball question to you, but why do you place so much emphasis on environmental stewardship and education as you prepare your students to be good global citizens?
3: Right. Well, as we're preparing our students to thrive in this very globally um, connected environment, particularly as they'll be graduating and entering what has now become a very internationally connected society, you know, environmental stewardship and, and the, the challenges currently happening and continuing to happen with regards to our environment are a very critical component um, to what it means to be a global citizen. So, um, it's thoroughly integrated into everything that we teach, everything that we do and feed and, and learn about here at the Academy for Global Citizenship.
2: In terms of environmental issues, um, and I know that you're using a lot of things like, you know, your garden, and you mentioned the, the chickens and, and what have you to talk about the environment. But are there particular issues like water, energy, or you know, other specific environmental issues that you really hone
3: in on? Yeah, absolutely. We actually. Um have environmental sustainability education class on a daily basis. So we have a full-time sustainability and wellness teacher who meets with the students on a daily basis. And her role is really to deepen the understanding of, of what's being learned in those classrooms and taking it a few steps further. And so the students could be studying through their international baccalaureate units. They could be studying our local and global food systems for six weeks. They could be learning about where our food comes from. They could be learning about water and they could be learning about rainforests and trees and sustainable architecture, Um, and so that time every day allows her to really develop those standards and evaluation measures for um, looking at the impacts of our sustainability education program.
2: That's, That's just fantastic. Now, Sarah Elizabeth, you've traveled extensively.
3: Have you seen other countries teaching their
2: children about the connection between global citizenship and environmental stewardship?
3: Absolutely, it's it's really incredible to see some some positive example examples happening on an international scale. Um, the IB program, the International Baccalaureate program, is being implemented in 138 countries, and they've got a particular emphasis on empowering action among their students. Um, other global projects, like Dr. Jane Goodall's Roots and Shoots initiatives and HSBC's Eco Schools Climate Initiative, are happening on a global level. And you know, there's a beautiful example of weaving. Global citizenship and environmental sustainability, um, actually, in, in the Topanga Hills of Los Angeles, called Muse Elementary School, that, that are also doing some remarkable things.
2: And do you collaborate with the principals of these other schools to share best practices on any routine basis?
3: We are working on reaching out to these other like-minded schools and and developing collaborative opportunities and also working on a local level to create these consortiums and these avenues for extending these practices to, you know, other neighborhood schools here in Chicago.
2: How's that going? Because, you know, I I mentioned to you when we were speaking earlier this week that my husband is actually from Chicago, so there's a soft in my heart for Chicago schools, and my sister-in-law is a teacher in Chicago public schools. Um, what's the reception like? Are, are, you know, other schools in the Chicago system embracing this? Are they curious? I mean, what's your local collaboration temperature? Take the temperature for us. What's it sure,
3: like? Sure. Well, that's a, you know, a very important part of our mission. We're not just doing this because we want to create one beautiful school for 500 students on the south side of Chicago, but we'd really like to see some systemic change. And in our first year, last year, we had over 500 visitors come to the school from all parts of the world and parts of the city, um, administrators, teachers, parents, coming to learn about uh, the, the unique aspects of the school. And so we've really been thinking critically about how we can share on even a greater level what's happening here and um, have, as a result, have created our Sustainable Schools Handbook that's actually located on the, the homepage of our website um, as a means of really inspiring that greater change.
2: Talk to us more about that. The Sustainability Handbook is, is a great tool. I was looking through it just yesterday and uh, I'm a big fan. Talk to our listeners more about what they'll find if they get out on your website and click on that link.
3: Sure. Well, the intention for the handbook was to prepare any type of audience with the steps that they could take to make positive change in their school community. And so, really, it's created in a way that no matter where you are on the spectrum, if this is the first time that you'll be implementing one of these things or if you're already doing some great work but are looking to take this a step further, um, the Sustainable Schools Handbook is really designed for parents and custodians and principals, and teachers um, to all identify ways that they can uh, deepen uh, the sustainable practices in their schools. So it ranges from uh, planting an organic garden to the food that's being served in the school to renewable energy sources, um, green cleaning, and, and those sorts of things. Now, when
2: you talk to other school communities about doing this, do you ever run into the question of why you know um, why should we be doing this, and how do you answer that question
3: it's It's a great question you know oftentimes teachers feel feel very burdened and and it's uh you know it's a very intense um, time when when uh, teachers have to focus a lot on the academic achievement of their students what we're finding is is that the integration of these principles really do align with the state learning standards and finding some unique and creative ways to really integrate those into the math lessons into the science lessons uh, really allows for that exciting engagement and so we see the students really lit up and um, you know just love coming to school and participating in these very experiential uh, projects and so so um, I think it's just a wonderful supplementary um, piece for, for for schools to to begin to integrate.
2: I love it. Well folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but we are going to be back with more from Sarah Elizabeth Ipple, the founder and executive director of the Academy for Global Citizenship. So don't go away, we'll be right back with more Go Green Radio.
1: News. Opinion. Can you hear me? Your voice counts. Call toll free one 866 1-86-472-5787. 472 5787 VoiceAmerica.com.
0: deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.
1: Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26 percent, 43 percent, or 14 percent? stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com you're listening to go green radio with your host jill buck
2: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. This is the segment of the show that I look forward to every week. Uh, we have a couple of green teen journalists down in L.A., and they work for one of my very good friends, Scott McGinnis. He's a former actor himself. And he's a television producer and director, and he has created the Global Broadcast for Kids Green News segment. And so we're going to be listening in to their audio clip this week, Green News
3: for Kids. Take it away, Michael.
4: Globalbroadcastforkids.com presents GBK Green News in association with the Go Green Initiative from one kid to another. Hey, what's up guys? It's Marley. And Elijah. With GBK's Green News in association with the Go Green Initiative on Go Green Radio, and we are going to get started. Um, UK to boost safety inspections after BP oil spill. Britain said it would increase its inspections of the North Sea drilling rigs and monitoring of offshore practices in the light of the BP oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. Energy and Climate Change Minister Chris Hewn said in a statement on Tuesday that he had also asked an oil industry group to investigate the U.K.'s ability to prevent and respond to oil spills. The U.K. plans to double the number of annual environmental inspections due to the Gulf spill in Mexico, which continues to leak between 12,000 to 25,000 barrels per day after the Deepwater Horizon rig, which was drilling, the well exploded and sunk. Well, so what? So
5: what? Well, the Go Green initiative says that the Gulf oil spill disaster is just that, a disaster for all, and the UK is wise to take this action. Nobody meant for this oil spill to happen, but nobody ensured that it wouldn't. And when we see the damage that this oil spill has caused, is there really any such thing as being overly cautious when it comes to inspections and regulations? From now on, we don't have to use our imagination to envision a worst-case scenario that must be avoided at all costs when it comes to offshore drilling. We know the potential risks and the oil companies and governments simply must ensure that nothing like this ever happens again, period.
4: The world could generate 95% of electricity from renewable energies by 2050 in a drastic shift from fossil fuels with the United States paying about a third of a giant bill, Green Lobby Group said on Monday. The report by Greenpeace and the European Renewable Energy Council (EREc) said that global investments in energy would need to total $18 trillion by 2030, almost five times the entire U.S. federal budget for the next year, to set the world on a path to generating about 95% of electricity from non-polluting renewables by mid-century. Renewables now make up about 18% of the electricity generation and governments want to raise the share. This is partly to combat global warming caused by greenhouse gas emissions from fossil fuels and partly to diversify and guarantee energy supplies as fossil resources decline and to combat other forms of pollution. Well, so what? So
5: what? Well, the Go Green Initiative says 18 trillion dollars? That's a lot of money. While the U.S. unemployment numbers are still high and our nation's budget debt continues to rise, it may not be cool on the home front if America lawmakers decide to use our tax dollars to buy windmills for the rest of the world, particularly while the Gulf oil spill is inspiring us to invest in green energy in America. In addition, there are lots and lots of American companies who are working to help the world's biggest carbon emitter, China, invest in renewable capacity. The United States is moving in the right direction on renewable energy generation and investment.
4: The New York Power Authority on Friday said it has started reviewing five proposals for wind power projects in state waters on Lake Erie and Lake Ontario. In New York, the Great Lakes Wind Farms would help Governor David Patterson reach his goal of having 30% of the state's power come from renewable sources by 2015. Like New York, more than 30 states have put renewable energy requirements on the books to spur job growth, foster a healthier environment, and reduce carbon dioxide emissions from fossil fuel-fired plants in an effort to combat global warming. New York already produces more hydroelectric power than any other state east of the Rocky Mountains, primarily the at NYPA's Niagara and St. Lawrence dams. The state also has substantial wind power potential in the Catskill and Adirondack Mountains. Well, so what? So
5: what? The Go Green Initiative says this story is exciting, but incomplete. Unfortunately, government officials around the world are not looking at the need in energy storage. At the same time, they invest in renewable energy. According to national expert and recent guest on Go Green Radio, Jason McConsey, the reason storage is so crucial to renewable is, well, the sun doesn't always shine and wind doesn't always blow, and they are often located in areas far away from the people that need it. Energy storage with renewable energy, especially in remote wind farm areas, creates more reliability. Hopefully, Governor Patterson will take heed because one of America's most promising energy storage companies is right in his own state. Ioxis, who will be a guest on Go Green Radio this week, is located in New York and could help maximize the potential of this cool new wind farm project.
4: UK gets final EU warning over London air quality. The European Commission issued Britain with a final warning over air quality standards in London and British Overseas Territory Gibraltar. EU air quality legislation sets a limit on the maximum concentrations of certain pollutants. Britain has failed to comply with standards for dangerous airborne particles known as PM10 which are emitted by industry, traffic and domestic heating, the Commission said. These particles can cause health problems including asthma, cardiovascular problems, lung cancer and sometimes premature death. According to the latest data, the Greater London Urban Area and Gibraltar exceed PM10 limits. In Britain, if britain fails to take measures to comply with the legislation the commission could refer the case to the european court of justice well so what So
5: what? the go green initiative says the european union is not alone in setting standards for pm10 the u.s environmental protection agency epa has had regulations around pm10 for many years Particulate matter that is this small is very dangerous to humans because the particles can get very deep into our lungs. Kids, elderly adults, and anyone who exercises outside is vulnerable to sicknesses caused by PM10. The tough thing about this issue is that while local governments are held responsible for the level of PM10 in the air, there is only so much the government can do to control it. A lot of PM10 is generated by individual people, not government-controlled entities. PM10 comes from cars, fireplaces, and dust from fields, roads, and open land. In order to reduce the amount of harmful particulate matter in the air, it really takes cooperation of everyday people. Government mandates just aren't enough.
4: Here are some new businesses that have just joined the Go Green Initiative. Wellness Lifestyle Group, Boca Raton, Florida, and EcoWorks, Africa, Munisburg, South Africa.
5: Organizations that have just joined the Go Green Initiative Jasper's Health Camp, Sioux City, Iowa, Young Israel, Forest Hills, Forest Hills, New York.
4: All right, guys, this is Marley
5: and Elijah
4: signing off with GBK's Green News in association with the Go Green Initiative on Go Green Radio. And make sure you do one thing a day to help the environment, like take two minutes less in the shower.
5: Start a compost or recycle your bottles and cans. Do whatever you can. Until next time, bye, guys. Later, guys.
4: GBK Green News, copyright 2010,
0: globalbroadcastforkids.com.
2: I just love those kids. Aren't they great, Sarah Elizabeth? They're fantastic. Ah, oh, such smart kids. I just love those two. Thank you again to Marley and Elijah and Scott McGinnis for providing us the Green News for Kids. Sarah Elizabeth, I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball for a minute. If your greatest hopes and dreams for your students are fulfilled with the Academy for Global Citizenship, what do you see them doing in the world, say, 10 or 20 years from now? What's, what's your greatest hope?
3: Well, it's something that we certainly don't don't miss a day in, in thinking about, but, you know, our goal here is really to inspire the way that, that our society as a whole is educating the lifeblood of our future. And, you know, we may be the leaders of today, but our children will be the environmental, social, and political leaders of tomorrow. So really, you know, we feel it's our responsibility to equip them with these advantages and opportunities afforded by unsurpassed education and, uh, you know, provide them upon graduating with choices to really meaningfully participate in a global economy to positively contribute to this future of environmental, social, and economic sustainability.
2: I love it. Now, you guys are going to actually be working on a new building in order to facilitate, even to a greater extent, this education process that you've begun with a net positive energy school. Talk to us about that new structure and um, all that's going into uh, creating that for the students.
3: Sure. Well, as as you mentioned, we are striving to produce this replicable model for learning in the 21st century, not only with regards to, uh, you know, all of the innovative curricular components of what's happening, but also through the construction of this net positive energy school building. So essentially a, a school that will be producing more energy through renewable sources than it will be consuming. And this system really is built upon the integration of, sustainable practices into the environment and will act as a third teacher uh, to our students, the facility, and will become a prototype that we believe will shift the way systems across the globe will educate our next generation to excel in a world that depends on the state of our planet.
2: Well, and you mentioned The Third Teacher. Actually, the author of that book, Trung Lee, was a guest on Go Green Radio. Folks, you can check through the archives on our, our website. You can check to see that episode. It was about a year, year and a half ago, but that was a fascinating interview. And that book, actually, I saw it recently in Barnes & Noble, so you can pick it up at uh, any bookstore. You can probably order it online as well. It's called The Third Teacher, and it talks about um, how a school building and how a school facility can actually um, basically become a living laboratory to underscore the lessons that children are learning via the curriculum, that the building itself becomes part of the teaching mechanism. And not to mention, you know, the, the book is brilliantly written, but it's also beautiful to look at. There are many examples of some of the works of the architects that Trung works with, uh, Bruce Mao being one, and uh, the pictures and the visuals are just beautiful in that book, so I invite you to take a look at that. Sarah Elizabeth, um, speaking of this third teacher and the atmosphere around the kids, how about technology? How do you integrate technology into the classroom um, there at AGC?
3: Well, technology certainly is essential for learning in the 21st century. I will never forget last year, our first year of school, when I saw a first grader giving a PowerPoint presentation on an interactive <laughs> whiteboard in his classroom, <laughs> and at that point it really hit me how times have really changed um, since I was in school, not so many years ago, um, but we really have used technology here in some very interesting ways already. Um, in kindergarten and first grade, we had one of our teachers last year receive a fellowship through the Earthwatch Institute to go to the Arctic to study climate change, and intentionally she went while our students were in session here so that she could actually teach teacher class through this interactive whiteboard via Skype. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's been amazing at really allowing for some of these globally collaborative opportunities and communications to be occurring.
2: I love it. And you're creating an atmosphere where teachers can really feel comfortable branching out on that. We're going to take a quick commercial break, folks, but don't go away. We're going to go right back to that same topic because I'm very excited about it. You all know I'm a little bit geeky myself when it comes to technology. So we're going to go back to that with Sarah Elizabeth Ippel in just a few moments. Stay tuned for more Go Green Radio.
1: Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's
4: it. That's it.
1: VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Interstate Sportsman Talk Radio Show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the Voice America Network with hunting and fishing info news. Talking about everything from new sporting gear, places to hunt and fish, and getting more from your recreation time. Join hosts Brock Ray and Don Kirk Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 Eastern, for the Interstate Sportsman on the Voice America Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
2: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Folks, today we're joined by Sarah Elizabeth Ippel, the founder and executive director of the Academy for Global Citizenship in Chicago. She was just telling us before the break about how they're using technology in the classroom, and I wanted to give you a little bit more time, Sarah Elizabeth, to talk about how you're integrating technology into the student's learning experience.
3: Sure. Well, it's been, it's been amazing to witness the impact of the introduction of new technology this year. Last year, in our first year, we received funding for one uh, interactive whiteboard that went into our first grade classroom, and it was just amazing to see the, the ways that this could be integrated into the students' learning with the example of the teacher teaching from the Arctic Circle about climate change to uh, allowing the students to communicate and collaborate on a global level. Um, this year, we just received a grant to actually uh, integrate those whiteboards into every single one of our classrooms in addition to the integration of, of a number of, of new laptop computers. Um, so with teachers' uh dashing off this summer we've got Helma going to um, Argentina to study Spanish with a family and Nora is going to Ecuador uh to study climate change and Dan is going to Japan to collaborate with educators and uh with with regards to sustainability it's it's exciting to think about um, how they will continue to use the technology to 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 support this continued um, communication
2: Oh, that's fantastic. Now speaking of sponsors and donors, what is it that makes people want to invest in AGC?
3: What we're what we're really trying to create here is a national model, a prototype that's replicable and that can be that can be uh you know implemented in other parts of our nation, in other parts of our world. So by investing in our innovation here uh allows us to extend our learning and to extend uh, all of our discoveries, whether it's with regards to our curricular uh, innovation here or our building. Um, Really, we're looking for people to become a part of the future by investing in one of the nation's most innovative projects
2: and you must have investors from outside of Chicago. I mean, a lot of times public schools are looking to their local businesses to, you know, invest or to help with fundraisers and things like that because they want to be part of their local school, they want to, you know, hopefully have the parents shop at their, you know, local store or what have you, but you are getting investments from outside of the Chicago area. Um, what is it that these sponsors feel like they're getting in return? What's their return on investment, so to speak?
3: Sure, sure. Well, you know, we are a very local and, and community-based project here, but with a very global and international intent and, and level of engagement. Already our, our project here with our facility that we've been collaborating with OWPP Canon Design and Bruce Mao, has begun to attract international attention um, for innovation. So, again, this is something that we're really looking at, extending, extending across the globe. And so by investing in this model here, we can together create a prototype that, uh, that can be implemented in other parts of the nation. Now, for our listeners who may not
2: be able to donate funds but want to get involved, want to help you out... You've got a wish list up on your website, and you've got opportunities for just about anyone to get on board with your mission. Talk to us about how um, everyday people um, can get involved and help
3: AGC. Sure. Well, there's there, it's amazing how some of those you know small. Um, small steps can make such a big difference, um, whether it's in-kind support for our new facility or for our organic food program. We've developed some amazing partnerships of in-kind donations that that really do help us divert our resources to educational materials and supplies. Um, you know, we're also always looking for donations of gently used books and classroom supplies um, we're also looking for volunteers, so people to get involved here in our school and, and also, you know, for those in other parts of, of the U.S., just to raise awareness and to advocate for for um, these things happening in our school and for all schools. Um, last but not least, I would say go out and plant a seed and, and, and start, start growing something uh, in your own community.
2: Well, and speaking of that, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that we've got a lot of listeners out there who say, Wow, I would love to have a school like this in my backyard.
3: I'd love to replicate it. Um, How how do they begin? Well, I think uh, you know most most uh, states have actually a process for going and opening um, a charter school or or a public school. Um, They're the uh, guidelines for that vary certainly on, on where you live, but but it seems to be a growing opportunity to look at uh, operating these types of schools. Um, but it really does start with a single step. Um, you know whether it's in your existing school, learning about how to implement some of these programs or replicating them. You know I think our sustainable sustainable schools handbook is is a great resource for identifying what those first steps might be. But we've really seen here um, that it is a ripple effect. It really does start with with that first garden box, and to see how that really shifts a community and inspires um, a culture of engaged citizens to to really get involved, um, I would just encourage everyone to to take a step. Well, I know that in Chicago,
2: you know Mayor Daly has been very public and very vocal about a lot of different green initiatives. I mean, the Green Roof Initiative. I mean, he's, you know, after the tragedies of the early 90s with all the folks who perished during the heat wave, he's been very concerned about urban heat island issues and um, just a number of different green initiatives going on in Chicago. Um, How significant has his support and his vision for a greener Chicago been to the success of what you've begun at AGC?
3: Well, it's certainly wonderful to live in a city where our mayor is, you know, supporting a lot of these green initiatives on a a city level, Um, and in our school level and community level, I think it's really taken a community of engaged citizens to create this kind of change. Um, You know, a lot of what you'll see outside in our piece of concrete, um, you know, to to paint this picture of where we really are located, we're in a very urban and industrial setting um, where we have a a 13,000-square-foot piece of concrete that we've essentially created into this this green and growing and thriving and living uh, space um, next to a barrel factory. We were in a barrel factory located next to a, a truck parts shop and a pallet company. So um, just <laughs> to give you a sense of exactly the, the type of space in which we've been able to create this very environmentally sustainable school, um, it really has come on a grassroots level from people who are passionate about about seeing change in their communities. Now, in terms of
2: public policy, I mean, you know, when you're engaging in something like creating a brand new school, there's bureaucracy involved. What kind of public policy needs to be in place to support the genesis of a school like this in, the, in a community?
3: That's a great question. Um you know I think that we're, what we 're finding is is that there is um, a general support for for these types of things happening and, and there are certainly some some very difficult um, measures, for example, with regards to um, nutrition programs in schools and the food that we 're serving. Our, our students, and I know that that has been a tremendous challenge for people across the nation, particularly with um, the amount of funds that are available to support um, school lunch programs. But uh, the district here in Chicago has has made some incredible progress at really shifting, um, not necessarily policy, but shifting the nutritional standards. And we have a very innovative uh, thinkers here, Bob Bloomer and Louisa Asayan, involved in our uh, uh, program through Chartwell's Thompson Hospitality that that have been instrumental at shifting shifting the standards and creating these changes in our system so um, I think it's, it's exciting to see what what really is accessible um, to to people
2: what has surprised you the most Sarah Elizabeth I mean when you started this um, you know back a few years ago in the minute that we have left what what's been your greatest surprise as you've progressed through the opening of the school and and further into the operation of the school.
3: I think my biggest surprise is really seeing the action that the students have begun to take as a result of their learning. I initially anticipated when they walk through those doors at the end of eighth grade that something will have impacted them. And already what we're finding is, is just this impassioned uh, excitement to, to really take this action and, and create change in their community, whether it's choosing to walk and bike to school or taking recycling and composting to school because they don't want to see it wasted at home or even trying new foods like kids and kohlrabi and tempe. Um, it's just, you know, seeing this shift occur not only in our students but in our community uh, really has been an amazing experience.
2: Well, Sarah Elizabeth, I just want to thank you for what you're doing. I want to thank you for being on Go Green Radio. I mean, you're so inspiring, and I wish you all the greatest success. Folks, check out her website at www.agcchicago.org. We'll be back same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio.